Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Monisha Mann on the show. Mann is a case manager for Equus Workplace Solutions, where she helps people leaving the prison or jail system find stable employment. She was also once the DJ on B95 in Fresno, working as a radio disc jockey for 17 years. We had lots to talk about in terms of vulnerability, having a public image, bias, transitioning from one industry to another, and how to help formerly incarcerated people transition to a more fulfilling life. This was a great conversation. I know you'll enjoy it. So let's go meet Monisha Mann. Monisha, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Where do I like to eat? Um, well, I don't have a specific restaurant that I'm at all the time. I, you know, I like to try new things and take suggestions from friends or whatnot. But last night I ate at a local um, spot. It's a soul food spot on um, Shaw and uh, Shaw and like Mark's area. It's called Rhapsodies. And okay. not only do I like the food at this place, I, I used to actually go there every Sunday and then it became like, you know, it's just not the healthiest thing to do every Sunday. Mm. Um, but you know, it's so good. And not only is the food good, but the service is good. And that's like, so important to me. Like, I'll go back if your service is great. Like, I just, you know, I really respect that, especially when you're a locally owned business. Um, you know, you can't go wrong with great service and then good food. So Rhapsody's is probably the last place I went. That was last night, actually. Well, and I'm a firm believer in, um, you do the right thing while the sun's out, but as soon as the sun goes down, that's when you can make mistakes. And I'm that way with food. Absolutely. So like trying to eat a healthy breakfast, have a salad for lunch, and then just get after some, something fried and dirty for dinner. Yes. Um, not every night, but I'm right. so in other words, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, you know, what, what is life without fried chicken? So what, no, what do you, right. what, what do you like there at this? Uh, what was it called? Rack city? Rap cities. Rhapsodies. Okay. What do you like yep. there? And so to be honest, I get the same thing every single time. And that would be um, fried fish and two to three sides. Sides are always either greens, yams, and mac and cheese. I mean, mm. a lot of times I'll get all three and that's where it gets bad, you know, because you're just mm. doing too much at that point. But I mean, if it's so good, you really can't help it once a week, you know? Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, there's of course Chef Paul's downtown, but I really right. haven't known of other ones as well. So that's a good one to add to my list. And you know, I I haven't been to a good fish fry in a long time, but if it's done right and properly, and the breading is that is just that perfect fluffy crunchy, yep. like, then that that speaks to my heart and soul. Yeah. Um, and and so I imagine that's what what keeps you coming back. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It was, it was just beyond fresh last night too. So yeah, definitely check it out when you get a chance. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things you um, have done in your work background that interest me. And we'll, you know, obviously this might get a little meta because we're going to talk about being a radio DJ and what that entails. Um, but essentially you're keeping people's attention and keeping them from turning a dial um, and so there's probably some uh, challenges, but also some skills that you need to do that job well. 
Um, so what would you say would be a prerequisite to be a radio DJ in your mind? Hmm. Um, well, I would say the most important thing that I learned, um, you know, throughout my 17 year career in radio is just to be you, be genuine, be real, you know, talk to the people, they're, they're people, um, don't get on radio. You know what I did in, in my early years, I think I started radio in 2002, um, and, you know, I didn't really understand it at that point. I thought it was just, hey, what's up? It's Mo. Hey, what are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, you know, it was just, it was too much. I mean, I listened, I have cassette tapes of my recordings from back then, 2002 and 2003. And I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? You know, but it's, it's all a learning experience and that's okay. Um, but looking back, I'm, you know, the most important thing um, to being in radio and just keeping an audience and having a fan base and people that genuinely like you, want to listen to you, respect you, it's just being real. Just be who you are. You know, you, you that's how you're gonna gain the respect. When you're trying to be someone you're really not and you're putting on this persona and it, it just, it, it doesn't work. I mean, it might be fun and entertaining for a couple hours, a couple days, a couple months, but at the end of the day, you know, you want people to stick with you. Um, and, and that's one thing I can say, like through the years, of course, in the beginning, I, you know, made those mistakes and learned, but I really, um, gained like, and I don't even want to say fan base that, that I just cringe at fans and mm. no, like just people who supported me, they stayed in my corner through my career because I was Mo on the radio. But then when you saw me in the streets or in a restaurant or wherever you may have bumped into me, I was the exact same person. And I really think people respect that. And, and over all the years, they just stayed with me. They stuck with me on my journey. Yeah. The, the kind of being yourself thing. Um, is that another way of saying that you just need to be kind of vulnerable and honest? Is that kind of what you mean by that? Or yeah, yeah okay. be real, share your real experiences. You know, I mean, as you know, social media. And when I first started radio, there wasn't really too much. There was social media, but it wasn't what it is now, mm -hmm. right? We're talking yeah. like 2002, 2003. It was mm -hmm. coming out. I remember I had a, a conversation with my boss and he was just like, hey, I need you to, you know, make an account on Facebook. And I was like, no way, Jose. And he's like, no, no, it's the new thing. It's going to get big. You know, this is radio. And I'm like, I'm not about to put my business on Facebook. But, you know, over the years you learn, um, and you learn that people want to know that you're just like them. You're real. You have mistakes, you know, talk about them, you know, it makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel engaged and want to listen to you and want to follow your, your, your journey and stuff. So yeah, be vulnerable, share your experiences. I mean, you don't have to let them know all your business or you can, you know, it, it's, a, it's up to you, but this, just to keep it real and be real and not just be this robot on the radio. It's really important. Yeah. And I think that's tricky these days with the social media stuff, because there's this desire to be real, but then, you know, you, there is this kind of other instinct where you overshare um, and you lack boundaries. And, you know, especially when you're, you know, we're going to talk about kids in a minute, but especially when you're dealing with kids, they're trying to figure out that kind of nuance of like, how do I be honest without, you know, doing something that crosses a line where I'm, now sharing too much with people in a way that makes me unsafe. You know what I mean? So right. it's like a tricky, it's a tricky line to walk. And I was thinking about what you're saying just now. Um, and it reminded me of um, the documentary that came out about Jay Balvin, um, where he was talking about there's Jay Balvin and then there's Jose. 
and Jose is just himself at home and himself at home is just like sitting on the couch with his dog and like meditating and like, you know, refraining from alcohol and just like all these things. And it's, you know, and so he, he saw that as a way to like, you know, like he needed to preserve that space, but it seems like that kind of disjunction between those two things will eventually just make it to where it just seems unhealthy. So it seems like what you're pointing at is like, there is a good way to be real, but how is, I guess, up to us to figure out like, what's a safe vulnerability, yeah. if that makes sense. It's like a thin line. It's tough. It's, it's like, you know, on one hand, you, you know, you want to keep it real. You want to be you, you should be you. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you are an entertainer at the end of the day, you mm -hmm. are trying to entertain the masses. So you do have to kind of put on this persona sort of say when you're out and about when you're hosting events and you know this type of thing but you know as long as you are staying true to who you really are you know and you can get out there and put on this persona and 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 be the host I guess but at the end of the day people you know they can feel your energy and know what's real and what's fake and that's really what's important is that something you figured out through trial and error um I, I and I say that because especially young people that are trying to figure that out. They're like, well, what's just the secret, you know, what's the secret to finding that happy medium. Um, yeah. But I think most of us, you know, as we get older, we figure out like, well, we have to fail at it and we maybe have to, you know, be disingenuous sometimes to realize that that's not helpful to us. So what was your journey like to figuring out that kind of that right, that perfect, that lane in the middle between those two extremes? Yeah, I would definitely say um, trial and error, you know, like, as I stated, when I first started, I mean, didn't really know too much. I was kind of thrown in the fire, to be honest, and started off as an intern. And, um, you know, I really had a lot of passion in radio and, and my bosses, well, you know, they became my bosses, um, but they, you know, they, they saw that I really loved radio and it, there was something about it that just sparked a flame for me seriously. And they saw that and they gave me a chance and, and, and they hired me, but with that, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of mistakes made and, you know, my mentors really guided me a lot in the game too. guys that had been there for years before me. And then I started studying like some of the radio greats, Charlemagne, Angie Martinez, two people that I really admire, Wendy Williams, you know, I started reading some of her books just to kind of see what their radio journey was like. And it's funny because it seems like we all have kind of like the, the, the same story. You know, you start off, you think, you know what you're doing and you really don't, but you don't learn until you you do something and someone tells you different or, you know, you mess up and you realize it wasn't probably the way to go or it's just, you know, and that's with any job, you know, trial and error, trial new things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And, you know, you see what's fit for you and what works and what doesn't work and what people react to and what people really don't care about. And, you know, you know, through the years you're growing, you're getting older. So different things matter to you and you want people to know about certain things. And, you know, it's just all part of the game, you know, growing, just growing growing, I mean, in age, but in, in, in your work experience as well. Yeah. And there's no skipping steps, you know, that's the thing. And I, I don't know, I don't remember who I was talking about this with recently, but we were talking about, uh, oh, it was, I was interviewing, um, uh, Kenneth Froelich, who, uh, Froelich, excuse me, uh, who is a classical musician in town. And, uh, we were talking about, you know, this kind of newer generation of classical players that, just want to skip all the hard steps and become, you know, <laughs> the masters immediately without kind of going through that stage of producing bad music or learning what works and what doesn't work. And I think a lot of kids just, or parents, maybe the parents of children who don't want to see their kids suffer, want them to skip those hard steps. But 
I, I really don't think there's any other way for you to mature as a professional without going through those hard steps. And that's been, Absolutely. as an educator, I mean, teaching like that, you know, I've had so many bad days in the classroom that are necessary to have made me the teacher that I am now. Um, and I wouldn't, even though I wouldn't want to relive those, but they're still, they're still important uh, at part of the process. Um, let's talk about radio in general. Um, so, and we'll, we'll transition from this in just a few minutes, but um, how did you see radio change in your career? I mean, obviously the streaming stuff um, probably had some impacts, but more broadly, um, how did the industry change over, over the time that you worked in it? It changed with the, you know, all this new technology. Um, hey, you can be a radio DJ in New York and in California at the exact same time. Oh, really? How? Just record your voice and press play, like literally, you know, and um, although it sounds amazing and it, and it actually is quite amazing, but at the end of the day, it's not very local, right? So you're going to have someone from California on a New York radio station. How local can you get? How can you really interact with your listeners in a way where they feel what you're saying? How can you talk about the restaurant you went to last night um, that wasn't in New York and New York audience is listening? I mean, how can they like, how can they uh, relate to what you're saying when they really don't know what you're talking about? I mean, so I think it's important for DJs to be in their own city and talking to the audience of that city. You know, yeah. there's only certain terms and, and things that Californians know about. So how can you talk about those things if you're DJing a station in New York? Well, obviously you wouldn't talk about those things. So you're kind of adapting the way that you're DJing now because, you know, you, you can't talk about California things, you know, in a New York radio station. Mm -hmm. So you have to adjust. So I've never really been a fan of that. Um, I did actually um, DJ for different markets. You know, um, I, I DJed for... Um, I was on air for Albuquerque, a radio station now in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then Bakersfield, Fresno. Um, but, you know, nowadays, that's just what it is in radio. You have one, one on-air personality um, on several different stations in several different markets. Um, why? Well, because it's cheaper to do, do it that mm -hmm. way, you know, yeah. and... Um, and that, that just leads to, you know, the fact that I got laid off two years ago after being in, in, in the radio business for so long. Um, and it was mainly because the company that I work for um, was pretty much in debt. And, you know, <laughs> um, as a lot of radio stations are, just didn't really have the money to upkeep all the, the personalities. Um, and so what they did was they just um, replaced us, me, with um, another on-air person that was just going to take my spot. And who knows if they were going to get paid any extra to do that. I would highly doubt it, to be honest. But, you know, um, that's just what it came to. Everything is just automated. Yeah. And I, I understand from a profit motive why that might be something a, a company would do. But, I mean, it, it sounds pretty similar to other conversations I've had about, like, all like local newspapers disappearing, like um, quality of local news, uh, you know, plummeting and uh, people's fixation on national news and forgetting about their communities. And it feels like uh, what you're describing is kind of a loss of context for people. You know, they're yeah. just getting something big and broad uh, right. that is, you know, slapped on a lunchbox and they're just like, you know, this is what it is. Um, but, you know, I, when I was growing up, <laughs> my parents would turn on the radio on when they were driving me to school and it, 
you know, probably shouldn't have been listening to it, but it was, you know, conversation about whatever parties, you know, people were at or, you know, uh, what, what happened last night, you know, that would, that, and, and like, but you knew who these people were um, and you are invested in them just in the same way they're invested in you. Um, right. But when I see, when I hear Ryan Seacrest on a radio station, I mean, I don't give a shit, you know, I mean, he's somewhere yeah. else, right? Yeah. Um, he's somewhere else. He doesn't really, uh, have anything invested in Fresno or wherever I'm listening. Um, he is probably just getting a per market premium on whatever he sells that his agent negotiated with some big mega conglomerate of something. Exactly uh, so why would I care? Why, you know, why would I care? I mean, sure. Right. He, he's a good speaker and whatever else, but that's not, not why, um, not why I'm turning because I can stream. I can stream stuff on my phone. I'll just I'll just put music on my phone. You know I don't. Exactly. And that's and that's the irony I think is that people don't at least nowadays they don't listen. I mean they might listen to the radio for the music, but they're really kind of listening for the stuff in between, right? Because we can all right, play music right. on our phones now. Yeah. And so maybe that's the industry misunderstanding. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. It makes me wonder as well. I mean, I'm sure it works for some people, but, you know, someone like myself, if I do listen to morning radio on my commute to, to work now, it's it, it's local. I want to hear about it. Like, I want to hear what's going on in my own city and, you know, topics and let's talk about locally owned businesses and restaurants. That's what I want to hear when I when I hear um, mm. on air personalities talking, you know, yeah. and then there's the music. But like you said, you know, you want to hear what they're saying. And when it's personal and it's local it just i don't know it just means so much more yeah ryan seacrest can keep his hair product down south um so <laughs> I let's know. I, I like ryan i do like ryan. okay all right all right all right um so um talk to me about um a pivot you made um so after after you lost your job with the radio station uh you made a pivot to working in a new industry can you describe that process and how you went from x to y yeah, so when I did get laid off, um, I probably sat um, around the house depressed for about two, three months, not knowing what my next step would be. I mean, for the last 17 years, I was Mo. I was, you know, on air at a couple different radio stations in my city, and I had really adapted to that lifestyle. And um, it's it's it was it was very difficult. I I was I was very lost. I didn't really know who I was or who I was going to be anymore. Um, there was like this identity crisis as well. Um, so it was it was really tough when I when I got laid off. Um, of course, I tried to stay positive about it and think of all the positive things. Now I can spend more time with my kid, you know, because in radio it's not like oh I'm going to work from nine to five. No, it's like hey when you get that phone call you're gone. When that artist pulls up, because they never pull up when they're supposed to. So when they pull up, you got to leave where you are and you got to head to that studio. You know, if, if there's a client that wants to record an on-air spot or a commercial and they can only do it in the next five minutes, guess what? You got to get to that studio. So the scheduling was crazy. And I lived that life for 17 years and I was okay with it. It was me. Um, and when that all left and uh, it was, it was, it was very different for me, <laughs> you know, but again, I was trying to focus on the positive, like, okay, now I don't have to leave my kid at these random times because I have to get to the studio. This might be a good thing, but it took a while to adjust. I won't lie. It was very difficult. So for a few months, I just sat around wondering what was I going to do? Cause all I could see myself doing was radio. That that's all I knew. Right. I had never, I mean, I had odds and end jobs when I was 18, 19, granted, yes, but this is, this is just all I really knew and wanted to know, to be honest. 
Um, I never looked outside of it, never job hunted outside of radio in the last 17 years. So I was just really confused. And why would you, if you're great at your job, why would you, why would you want? And that's the hardest thing about a career transition is you're never prepared for it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was nervous and I just, it was just so many emotions. And I was like, what create, I have to create a resume. I haven't created a resume and I don't even know how to create a resume. Are you kidding me? Like, we don't do that in radio. Like, so it was, it was tough. So three, four months, I was just down and out. Right. Um, then after that, guess what? COVID this thing called COVID started like talk about kicking me while I'm down here comes COVID and I'm like, okay, what do I do now? I need to get a job. I, I got to get some money. What's happening? And so that's when my job searching started. And it took me a while to figure out, okay, I'm probably not going to go back into radio. I did get a few offers. However, mm. they were out of Fresno. Matter of fact, they were out of California. Mm. And I was just not in the position to move out of California. A, sure. you know, I have a, I had a kid at that age. Uh, he was four, I think at that time, maybe three, four. Yeah, he was four. So I couldn't just up and get out of here. So I was like, okay, radio's out of the picture. What else can I see myself doing? And I just kind of thought about other things that, you know, I had an interest in and um, always, I've always loved working with kids, working with young adults. I did it throughout my radio uh, career. You know, when I did conferences or, you know, outreach events or speeches or things of that nature with young adults. And I always felt like I had a way with them. Like I could talk to them. I could get on their level and find out what's going on with them and, that type of thing. And so I was like, okay, you know, I could work with kids. So I just started kind of looking into those areas. And um, I probably filled out, I don't know, gosh, 50 sent, sent so many over 40 people, my resume, I'm sure. I mean, I just kept getting declined, you know, left, right and center. And I don't know if it was part of COVID and I'm sure that's maybe what some of it was. A lot of it was, they were looking at my resume, like, okay, uh, 17 years in radio. So you don't know how to do anything else type of thing. That's kind of how mm. I felt, to be honest. Yeah. Like they were looking at my resume, like, mm, nah, no, no, you don't know yeah. anything about this, this type of work. No, thank you. So, I mean, I got denied. I got so many letters. Thank you for applying, but you know, we found someone more qualified than you. And I went through that for a few months as well. And then I saw a job opening working with, you know, young adults, trying to help them out, get them on the road to success. Um, these particular adults had been previously incarcerated. So I thought, wow, you know, wouldn't that be awesome? Mm -hmm. And I just went for it. Once again, set my resume in, had no high hopes about it, knew I wasn't going to get hired. And I got a phone call, got a phone call from my now boss who said, hey, got your resume. When can I interview you? And I was just kind of like, wait, what? And then from there, that was about two, almost two years ago, not two years yet. But went for the interview and then did a couple more interviews and wow, you know, they called me back and said, we want to offer you the position. And that's just really how it went down. And what age group are you working with? 16 through 24. Okay. So that's still in the, you know, I, <laughs> um, they say our brains don't start to stop or stop developing until we get to 26, I think is it used to be 24. Now it's 26. I'm convinced in my thirties that my brain is still developing. <laughs> I'm pretty convinced. Um, right. My wife would confirm. Um, but uh, in any case, I, you know, that for me, I, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, in your twenties, you're still learning and you're still not fully that you know, kind of that adult mindset where, you know, you have a sense of stability, at least in your mindset. And I, 
And so that kind of window 16 to 24, I know that's when a lot of mistakes happen that can then follow you for a very long time. Um, so I guess my first question about this is what, what do people misunderstand about youth offenders? You know, I, I, I think what I get from it is people just, just assume that they're just bad people. They cannot be, they cannot change their ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always going to make mistakes. They're failures. Right. Um, that's probably the most of what I hear yeah. and, and feel, you know, cause a lot of people won't say it. A lot of employers won't say it, but I think that's how they feel. Like they're bad people. They're always going to be bad people, those type of things. Yeah. And I feel like that's inculcated in kids from a young age and it follows us into adulthood, this idea that there are good and bad people, you know, whether that's religion or whether that's uh, kind of simplistic understandings that are passed on from generation to you know we we all know especially educators and people that are working your field that there are no good and bad kids there's good and bad situations and then people make choices in those situations and then that just traps them in cycles and particularly when you're young um you know sub sub 18 or sub 20 um you know uh, the world is very different then. And we forget about it. The older we get, how violent things are suddenly, um, how, uh, rash decisions are just made very quickly. Um, and I think one of the biggest injustices is kids that, you know, are between that, those ages that you described, that get these long prison sentences, uh, for things that were made in a split second, you know, and I, I don't know what society's role needs to be in that. But um, one of the things we should do is obviously what you're doing, which is help them by find meaningful and sustainable work uh, that will give them purpose. Um, that's the least we can do I, in, in my mind. Um, what are what are uh, what are some of the challenges, though, with helping them find stable employment? Um, they, they they don't have any self-worth. They feel like failures. They've been told they're failures. They feel like failures. They feel like this one mistake defines their future, um, that they can really never amount to anything. Um, and gosh, I mean, most of their situations, I mean, you know, cause I sit there and, you know, it takes a while to build this relationship with these young adults who have been through so much. Um, but once they trust you, you know, once you, once you show them that they can talk to you and they feel that, and they open up and it becomes like a therapy session, right? And I'm nowhere close to being a therapist by any means. But when you're in my office and I close that door and I'm leaned back and I'm just like, so what's up? What's what's going on? Why? Why? Yeah. Who? How? Where? Yeah. When? What? You know? And they just let it all out. And, and just learning about all their past, they pretty much all my, my kids, they, they all pretty much have the same past. Mm-hmm. So much trauma mentally, physically, emotionally. I mean, you name it, they've been through it. And I'm talking 16 year olds, 17, even 18, 19, and 20 is still young. Yeah. And the things that they have been through. And then I and then I think about it and I say, gosh, well, yeah, no wonder why you've done some of the things you've done. You didn't know any better. You, you this is what you were taught to do, or you weren't taught at all. It's it's, it's tough, you know, and it's a thin line because, you know, you have these young, young offenders who, yeah, they do bad things and, and then they want to change their life. 
and you want to be mad at them for the things that they've done in their past. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm human. I, I'm, I'm mad. I'm disgusted. And, but then I see that they really want to change and they were just with the wrong crowd and made some bad decisions because they didn't have a mother or a father or aunts and uncles They They've been in 30 to 80 different foster homes in the past five years of their life. They've been abused. They've, they've just been through so much, you know, that I can't help but be sympathetic and want to help them if I see that they want to help themselves, which most of them do. Some of them, no, they just don't know how. And, you know, trauma is something that lives in, in your body. Um, It's something that uh, most of us have, you know, uh, whether we recognize it or not. And then some of us have it in extreme forms because of extreme things that happen. Um, And I, you know, I would, I would affirm you and say, that no, you're not a therapist, but you are, you are a mentor and someone um, that's just trying to listen and cares. Um, And I think, honestly, we have a lot of therapists in our world. (laughs) We need a lot more mentors, I feel like, than, I mean, therapists are great and they have their role, but uh, we just need like everyday people that care, you know, too. Um, And I think that, you know, because there's clinical problems and those have their, their role in our world, but at the same time, you know, I think just if we all cared a little bit more and particularly, you know, we just, you know, we, there's a lot of stereotypes about kids and, you know, teenage boys and violence and things. And those things are real too, but um, they're just, they're not, they, we, you know, if you dropped a valedictorian into some of these situations that you're describing, uh, their lives would be very different too. And it's not yeah. where, you know, no one, no human's immune from that. Right. Um, it's a challenge. What What are some of the challenges, though, that you see in terms of the industries where they're going to work in? Um, because sometimes, you know, you find you find a kid a great job, but maybe it doesn't work out for X, Y and Z. Well, the beauty about my program is we have these partnerships with a bunch of different local businesses here in mm-hmm. Fresno and Clovis um, that that understand our program and know that what we basically do is put our participants, we call them participants, we put them out of these um, local job sites for 200 hours. We call that work experience. Mm. So these are jobs that they probably couldn't get on their own, especially you know those with backgrounds. And we place them in these job experiences so they can see what it's like. And the way we place them is based on their career interests. So what is it that you like to do? What are you good at? And, you know, Most of the time they end up saying, I don't know, I have no idea. So we sit and make them take assessment tests. And that'll bring up all their strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses, which we all have. Um, but then that gives me an idea of like, okay, well, it says here that, I don't know, you you love to play instruments. Is that true? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, how about, um, you know, working with a musician and seeing that's something that you want to do? Or it says here that you love cars. How about working on cars? Maybe you could be a mechanic. Yeah, that sounds great. Sometimes we have to get it out of them. Um, But depending on what their interests are, we try to place them in that sort of industry. So if I have someone coming in, they have a passion for cars, they love cars, they already know how to change oil and change tires, they've been doing it forever with their uncle, I'll place them at maybe let's just say Midas for those 200 hours so they can get in there and see if that's something they really can do. If they do have an interest, they'll learn the terms, they'll they'll learn um, how to use their social skills because you're working with customers and you're learning, you know, 
how to deal with your boss and how to fill out a timesheet. And, and then after all that said and done, now you can update your resume. We can create a resume. You have Midas on there. It looks bigger than what it is. And, you know, so it's essentially really helping them, setting them up for success. It's not just, we're not a temp agency. We don't just throw them into jobs. They can do that on their own, you know, but um, we, we're trying to really teach them more than just a job actually. And um, for the most part, if they do really well, they end up getting hired on. Um, but there's some places that are like, you know, we gave them the work experience, but we can't really keep them because of that background. Um, so, you know, that that does happen. There's a lot of industries. We also take care of training. So if we have a participant that's interested in some sort of training, whether it be CNA, truck driving, solar panel, HVAC, construction, we'll give them money to attend training school. But sometimes in some of these industries, if you have a background, we're not allowed, to, you know, to give you that scholarship. And I hate that because I have so many young adults coming out of the, the juvenile hall who have just, you know, they just have this passion for like construction and welding because they do that type of thing there. And so when they get out, they're like, oh, I, I you know, I did welding school in the JJC and I want to continue that. And it's kind of like, uh, well, well, we can't pay for it because, you know, you have a background. So it really is, you know, it, it can really like mess things up in the end for these participants because when you have a background you got to either get that record expunged or you just got to look look to another field and that's unfortunate i don't know what the solve is for that because you know in a world where there's a free market you want to hire the best possible candidate for your job at the same time you know we live we live in a in a society that it, it at least in theory is supposed to have help everyone pursue pursue happiness and pursue success and, you know, wealth and uh, fulfillment in whatever way they can. And, you know, for someone, particularly someone that committed a crime really young, um, I mean, we can talk about the expunging process, um, but it just feels like there should be, I mean, even for adults, I mean, if we, if we talk about adults, I mean, if you, you know, if you're, if you're a felon getting out of prison, uh, in California, you know, uh, you know, or yeah. a sex offender or any, any number of things that is, you know, looked at in a particular way in society, even if you've been rehabilitated, um, there's just, it's hard to get around that. I don't, I, and I particularly, I don't know what the solve is because I don't think it would be fair to businesses to like prevent them from asking that. But at the same time, like, it feels like there should be some, some, some the government should lean on them to incentivize them in some way. Maybe I don't. I don't yeah, know what it and looks like. I think like. they are working on that. And I know there was a, there is a new law that passed. And forgive me because I I don't know what it is. But they you don't are have all to... laws memorized. What? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, just like pulling out your notepad. Oh, it's this one. Of I didn't come prepared. Okay. No. Oh my god. I know. There's so many, and they're working on things just like you mentioned. But you know, it, again, it's a thin line because just put yourself in in the employer's position, you know, I need uh, truck drivers, right, to drop off loads every day. And these loads are, I don't know, thousands and thousands of dollars of inventory. And you want a job to be a truck driver for me, yet your background, you have robbed three houses in the past two years. So you're a thief. (laughs) 
and you want yeah. me to trust you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, traveling with all this inventory in your truck and delivering it. So from an employer's perspective, I'm thinking, gosh, I don't know if I can trust you. And I understand that. But then from the participants point of view, they're like, yes, you're right. I do have three robberies in the past three years, but I've changed. I I've learned my lesson. I want to move on. I, I want to pursue this truck driving career now. Please give me a chance. Yeah. And then the employer's like, absolutely not. So there's it, it's just it's, it's tough. It's really tough. And like you said, I don't know how that can be mended either. I, yeah. I just don't, you know, because I understand it's complicated. It's yeah. complicated. Yeah. And cause I mean, you know, in my mind, if no one's willing to hire these people, it should be the government that hires them uh, because it costs so much money to incarcerate people that I would rather pay you know, my tax dollars going to pay someone $40,000 a year to pick up trash every day, um, then pay $80,000 a year to incarcerate them in California. But we right. don't think about it in terms of like that. Um, right. But it, it, it feels like it's, if I was given those options, one is a fulfilling existence and one is an existence of uh, deprivation, I would go for the fulfilling existence. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's like a that is a public will thing. It's not a thing that, um, you know, we can just kind of mandate, you know, know, because unfortunately some of our leaders still have simplistic views of their good people and bad people. Um, and you know, you can't pay bad people to be good people. Um, you just have to lock them up and I don't know. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's a complicated, uh, equation. Can you tell maybe, um, one or two success stories um, that you've had on the job with with kids um, that will uh, give people an image of you know kind of the uh, the value of your work. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, just in January, one of my participants who's twenty four. Just in January, um, he was released from prison in L.A. Well, he was first um, at Fresno County. Um, then they picked him up a couple weeks later after he was released from his house and took him to LA County. He was locked up there for a while. He was released in January. Um, when he got out of Fresno County, he came straight to our program. Hey, I heard you can help me. I just got out. Um, these are the supportive services that I really need, but most importantly, you know, I want to go to training. I want to better my life. I want to get out of the streets. I need to stay busy. How can you help me? We said, okay, that's great. Here's what our, we can do for you. Are you willing to do all these steps? Um, because if you are and you do a great job, we will pay up to $12,000 for some training for you. He said, yep. And he did everything he needed to do in a timely manner. He took all the tests. Um, I put him up for a work experience at a local warehouse um, where he performed really well. Uh, matter of fact, the, the, the general manager of that warehouse wanted to hire him, um, but he didn't take the position because he was interested in training for solar panel. So in March, in the beginning of March, um, after he completed all the previous steps, we put him in training, uh, solar panel training right here in Fresno at a local place. And he completed that in four weeks successfully. Um, We went to his graduation like two weeks ago. Um, Now he's certified for, you know, solar panel installation. Um, And uh, two days after his graduation, he got a direct hire. Um, so he is literally installing solar panels as we speak, I'm sure, uh, making good money plus commission. 
Um, and just, you know, January, he just got out of prison and he was in and out of prison prior to that, you know? So yeah. it's, it's all about, do you want the change? You know, um, most of our participants want the change. It's just really hard for them to change. So you need someone to be on them constantly. And I do my best, but there's only so much I can do. I got to clock out at five and come home to my own kid. Right. You know, and, um, that's where it's hard. You need someone to be on these kids just nonstop and, and then they'll, they'll do what they need to do. But if you let go, it's, you know, just, it, it's, it's just an effect. It just, it, yeah. it just turns over and it, it gets difficult. Yeah. In my mind, it's pretty simple. There are people that have addiction problems that drive criminal behavior. There's people that have mental health problems that drive criminal behavior and everyone else. If you get them a high quality job that gives them meaning purpose and a steady income, I mean, that, that really is, in my mind, the way to turn someone that's a quote unquote criminal into someone that's a, you know, a tax paying citizen, uh, yeah. that's a contributing member to society, probably will have a family at some point. Um, I mean, that it, it's just as simple as that. And it's just about investment, um, right. you know, and investment that moves away from bars and uh, moves to things like training. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the, recent uh, contribution that uh, Fresno, the city of Fresno uh, made to your organization, how, how that relationship's working? Yeah, so they've just opened up um, different positions um, for our participants. Um, it's the uh, city of Fresno and then Fresno County. Um, and it's been great because they've opened up different positions, mainly like um, office clerk positions, front desk, receptionist type jobs, answering phones, filing, data entry. And um, they've just recently opened parks and recreation um, as some jobs as well. And that's always great because, I mean, if you could put that on your resume, right, that you, you worked for the city of Fresno or the county of Fresno, it looks huge. And it's a confidence builder. You know, when I tell some of my kids, hey, there's a position at Fresno County um, at the Department of Health open, you know, you said you wanted to do office work. I have something for you. They're just blown away. Like what? You know, Fresno County, I can get in Fresno County. It's a confidence booster. And um, that's, that's always great, you know, to let our kids know there's positions like that available for them. They feel like, you know, special, it makes them feel good. So, and then they can update their resume with that on there. So that that's always a plus. So we're very grateful for those positions that they're opening for our young adults. That's, that's great. That's it's wonderful work. Um, what are there ways that people that aren't in your industry can contribute and help beyond just you know, uh, giving someone a second chance if you're in an interview and they have something on their record. Is there other ways that people can contribute? To our program, we are state funded program. Um, I think what would just help us is um, part of my job is outreach. So I'll go out into the community and, and, and talk to local businesses and basically say, would you be willing to partner up with us by letting us use your work site as a work experience? You know, and a lot of people are kind of like, well, what does that mean for me? Well, it's just very simple. It's just, I need your work site. So if you are the general manager of a particular restaurant, warehouse, um, building, whatever, you, just any type of business, you know, that has a tax ID number, just a legit business. And, um, you know, you're okay with us placing our young, young adults at your facility just for work experience. It's kind of like the employers having an, an intern or a volunteer, you know, yeah. um, but at the same time, our participants are, you know, getting a chance to be in that atmosphere, that environment, that, that work site and see what it's really like to, to work at a restaurant or a warehouse or, you know, retail, a shoe store or wherever it may be. 
So just, you know, always looking for new businesses. I mean, we have a huge master employee list right now, but it's always good to add, to yeah. add more. And if you're a coworker of some of these people to be an encouragement, be, a, you know, we talked going back to the mentor thing, um, you know, uh, we're all in this together. Um, and, you know, if you don't, if you're not the general manager and you're just someone, and then they hire someone on, you know, being a positive influence on that person. And I think we can all make that contribution in our work, um, by giving people second chances. Um, because, because someone, I mean, the reality is all of us have gotten second chances at some point. Absolutely. Uh, And so, you know, uh, that's, you know, the least we can do is pay it forward. Um, because when, you know, it's not a zero sum game, you know, there's, you know, the world does not benefit by some people losing and you winning. It's just, we're all, you know, when we win, we all win together. Um, and so that's, that's where it starts. Let's, let's close by talking about books. Um, do you have any, uh, book recommendations either on topic or whatever you're reading these days? Well, um, I'll keep it real with you. I have a now six-year-old at home. So reading a book is like watching TV. It hardly ever happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we have games to play and we mm-hmm. have footballs to throw and soccer mm-hmm. balls to kick, <laughs> but I will say there are a couple, um, that, you know, I have attempted to read the latest is from Dr. Nicole LaPera and she has a book called how to do work, how to do the work, I think. And she is a therapist. And, um, I found out about her through Instagram. Mm. Um, there's just something about her, her words, the way she words things, this just, you know, just sometimes you just have a connection with people and the way they speak. You feel like they're speaking to you and about you. It's like sometimes when you go to church and the pastor's talking about something and you're like looking around like, wait, is he talking about me? Did, did, does he know what I did last night? It's like one of those things with her. Mm-hmm. And so it's really intriguing just to, to read her material and just listen to her lectures. But um, I really, really like her. And I've tried to read a couple chapters, um, but she's I am really- literally reading that same book right now. I'm reading how to do the work as well. It's no on way. my, it's on my nightstand right now. Are you, wow. I'm totally serious. We're, our minds are connected clearly. Yeah, no, seriously. She's awesome. I would definitely recommend that book. Um, I feel like she just speaks to everyone mm-hmm. in your language, everything holistic, right? Like it, yeah. it's, it's full body and it's, and, it, yeah. You know. It's talking about all the real things that we all go through. You know, Mm -hmm. and and I really love listening to her words. So um, there's that. And then some of the books that I've read within the past like year or two, uh, Wendy Williams, one of her biographies, um, she's a former radio personality, as well as Angie Martinez, um, who is someone that I always looked up to in the radio game. Charlemagne the God is also a radio personality. Now he's become some big figure, but um, I Mm -hmm. I read his book recently. And then Derek Rose, one of my favorite basketball players, I, I started his autobiography. Um, and I'm still reading it, but so that just kind of gives you an idea. I'm more of like, you know, reading a, about real people and mm-hmm. how they got to where they got and what they went through, you know, makes me That's feel normal. Awesome. Well, yeah, that a lot of those, I would be curious to read as well, particularly Derek Rose, just because of all he's been through and the ups and downs exactly. and, you know, he's probably got a lot of like hard lessons he's learned, um, just kind of being the highest highs and then the lowest lows and never giving up most importantly never giving up Mm -hmm. after everyone just kicked him and kicked him down and kicked him down and he just continued to rise that's resilience right there that's my man Derek Rose (laughs) he's got a great story 
Well, where can people find out more about uh, your company and uh, about you? Um, well, so I don't really mix the two on social media. Um, you know, I, I, I keep them far apart. So um, one would never know um, about the things that I do as far as my new career. When I was in radio, that was all over the place. Mm-hmm. You didn't miss it if you tried. Um, but with my new position, because I'm working, you know, with these young adults and it's very sensitive and very personal, I don't share um, too much. Um, but if anybody is interested in the program, as far as maybe um, trying to enroll someone that they know between the ages of 16 and 24, someone who has made some mistakes in their life, does have a record, has been locked up, we can help them. Um, mm-hmm. All they need to do is simply walk into our office. We are located um, inside the Manchester Mall upstairs, Young Adult Services, and they can just rock, walk right in and we'll take care of everything else then. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.